we thank you so much for the chance to be in this place today. And uh, as, as we move on towards the fall season, Lord, I pray that uh, as, as this year draws to a close, you draw us close as a people. And we will start to discern your purpose for this time and this season in which we're living, not just fall, but, but this most unusual time that we find ourselves in. What would you have us be? We're trying to understand. Lead us in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're asking five questions this fall, asking them of ourselves, because these are questions that anyone who would come into this community, even if they've been a member here for a long time, but particularly if it's one of those people that uh, has encountered us, maybe in the context of one of the events that Pastor Jay has held, or maybe in some other context, people coming into this community will ask these questions of us, whether they know they're doing it, whether they ask them out loud. These are questions that anyone who comes into this space will be asking. And they'll be right to be asking them. And these are the five questions. One of the very first questions that will take place is, do you want me here? And if we communicate through the things we do and through our actions, or maybe even literally, that we don't, it will very likely be the last time we see that person. Because nobody wants to go into a place where they're not wanted. So this is a question that is being asked by everyone. And it's even being asked by everyone here right now. Do you want me here? And we are communicating an answer, whether we're doing it deliberately or not. The second question, and, and we addressed that with a couple messages already. The second question is, do you love me? Because it's one thing for us to say, yeah, I want you here. But it's another thing for us to show that we genuinely love someone. So we started on this question last Sabbath, and we'll continue with, do you love me today? But then a third question comes up, is the Lord with you? You see, we are advertised by our sign as a church, as a part of the community of followers of Christ. And it is fair for anyone to ask us, yes, you call yourself a church, but is the Spirit of the Lord present? Is there a power within this place for life transformation that is different from any other group I might walk into? By claiming we're a church, people have a right to expect that God would be with us. The third question, do you have a purpose? Are we just marking time? We're just waiting around in a pleasant space until the Lord appears? Or do we have a larger purpose? We haven't begun to address these questions yet, at least not in this series. And then finally, the last question. After a person has felt as though they're wanted, has felt as though they're loved, has seen the presence of the Lord, and has seen that there is a purpose, they will naturally ask the question, is there a place for me in that purpose? So these are the questions we're wrestling with. 
And the timeline for this series, it's going to run us right up to around Thanksgiving. Next Sabbath, October 9, we're going to start with the question, is the Lord with you? But then we're going to take a little break on October 16. And Alicia's going to lead out that Sabbath, and Pastor Jay is going to help out with this, and they'll probably drag me in one way or another. But it's going to be a little different that day. We'll be right at the midpoint of this series. And we're going to have the opportunity on that day for a little more interaction than we would normally do during the worship service. Now, the pieces of it are still coming together, exactly how we're going to do it. Uh, Alicia and Jay and I met last night and, and talked for a couple hours about the, the framework for how this is going to go, and we're going to meet some more and talk some more on how this will go. But you want to be here for sure on October 16th. And in fact, if you're watching online and you've been primarily watching online and you don't have an overwhelming health reason to not be here, I really want to encourage you to be here that Sabbath because there's going to be interaction that day that will be important for what will take place down the road. So October 16 is an important date. Please circle that on your Sabbath's calendar and make sure you're here that day. But let's get to our point for today. The question, do you love me? It is arguably the most important, most vulnerable, and most dangerous question a person will ever ask. Because to get a no is crushing. Do you love me? Every child asks it of their parents. Every spouse asks it of the one they're married to. Every church member asks it of the ones seated near them. Every stranger that walks in in need asks it of us. Do you love me? What answer do we as a bolder church give to that question. Now there's a very interesting reality that I observed with my eyes, uh, or at least a good portion of it. Um, over an eight-day span that began uh, really two weeks ago from tomorrow, that Sunday through the Sunday that followed that. So, so that eight-day span towards the end of the month of September was a very interesting experience for me to see because, because two Sundays ago from tomorrow um, was Porch Fest. Porch Fest is an event put on by our neighbors here on Mapleton Hill where they invite into the community a large number of bands who play on people's porches or out in their front lawn area and a large number of people come into this community on that day and listen to the different bands. Now, now they officially estimated there could have been as many as 1,200 people in this area that participated. That, that seemed high to me, but I wasn't in charge of the estimates, so I don't know how that goes. I guess, uh, yeah, no, we won't make any smart remarks there. We'll just leave that alone. But uh, I think there was a good large number of people around. And in fact, there was a band that was right out in front of the church here and played here. And Alicia and I were here and Brigida was here. 
And we as a church, our primary participation in this event has been to help them produce materials. Thank you, Brigida. And to make the building available for restrooms. And that's what we did this year. Now, in addition to that, Alicia set herself up by the entrance over here near the restrooms because we were directing people when they came in. They weren't sure if they were upstairs or downstairs or where they should go. So Alicia was seated there. Brigitte spent her time mostly by this door. And we directed people there downstairs, downstairs, downstairs. And uh, Alicia sat by that door. And when people would come in, she would say to them, uh, I'm offering prayers and, what was the other word? And restrooms. Yeah, okay. So not really fancy words, but uh, whatever your needs are. Now, most people, their needs were restrooms, and they went downstairs, and that was all. But five different people said, really, and engaged her on the subject, and she had the opportunity to pray for five different people on various issues. And you know what? It turns out everybody has challenges. Everybody's facing difficult things, and some of them were really hard. And Alicia had the chance to pray for them. But so here's the question. What do we as the Boulder Church give as an answer to the question, do you love me, to the porch fest crowd? Well, a lot of them had been drinking. Some of them were playing songs that might have made us a little uncomfortable. I'll admit, I for a second wasn't sure about what exactly our involvement should be on this when, when people were dancing in front of the steps of the church. Like, whoa, is this what we do? I don't know. Do you love me? I don't know. You make me uncomfortable. What would we answer to that group? Here we were with, with this this large number of people who entered our facility who, who think highly of us because we offered them something they needed, restrooms, who at this point may think we love them more than we really do. But that same week on Monday night, Pastor Jay held his Monkey Butler event, which is... Uh, a, uh, a improv, thank you, couldn't think of that word. Guess I'm not good at improv. An improv group that comes out and participates. And they've had an incredibly good experience. And they may very well think we love them because we provided space and Pastor Jay's invested. But, but do we? Is there any way we're invested in any of those people? Here was a large number of people that came into our facility and had a good experience here. Do we love them? Thursday night that week, the Boulder Chamber Orchestra did another one of their concerts that they do fairly regularly right here where I'm standing, gathered around. Alicia came to that event. I was out of town, so I wasn't here for it. But Alicia came. I think you sat right over there, didn't you? Yeah. And, uh, and they played beautiful music 
from this platform. And there were a large number of people that came into this facility that aren't normally here. There's actually something very interesting. If you go onto the Boulder Chamber Orchestra's material, they're advertising an upcoming concert they have. I think it's October something, 23 or something. They're having another event here. And you know how they identify the location where their event is? They refer to this as the church in Boulder. Kind of an interesting name for us, isn't it? At first I thought, well, that's not, that's not actually the name. But then on the other hand, I thought, most of these people haven't been to a church in years. And the fact that they would call us the church in Boulder, that's kind of cool. But do we love them? Do we know them? So then last Sunday was the fourth event. It's called the Sunshine Hill Climb. And what it is is a whole bunch of people who are crazy bike riders who get up early in the morning on a Sunday. Have I left any of you behind? Some of you are crazy like this. Get up early in the morning on a Sunday to come out here and register to ride their bikes up the road. Now, I don't know if you've ever gone up the road beyond the church, but it gets a little rugged and steep after this. That's not a place where a rational person rides a bike. But there were a large number of people, over 100, that registered to participate in this race. And so, so I came here early, and Pastor Jay was here, and I think we were here at like 5.30 or so, and, and Gordy and Jan came out, and Phil was here. Now, usually, Mark and Diane are here, but they were out of town. And we set up out front, we set up refreshments, and we served refreshments and some snacks and things like that. Turns out they don't eat bagels in the morning. We found that out. We had lots of bagels left over. And we helped them out. And a whole different group of people came through our doors and went down and used the bathroom. We're kind of king of bathroom in this whole area. We just own that. Maybe we should make an investment in making them really nice. <laughs> a little traction on that idea. So four different sizable groups of people came into our space. Do we love them? Do we act to work with these groups out of a sense of love for them or for their cause or for this community? Or do we just cooperate because it really isn't that big of an inconvenience since we normally aren't here at all? except Sabbath morning. Yeah, you can use the bathrooms. We don't need them. Well, that's nice, but is that love? Are we invested in the people who are literally coming into this building and finding a blessing from our facility, if not necessarily from us? And how do we interact? How do we engage? Four completely separate groups of people 
came into our space, do we love them? Do we care at all? So just to show my age a little bit, on this question of love, to quote the lyrics of a song by a man named Howard Jones, written in 1984, he actually proposed an answer in this song. And it's, it's not too bad, really. Here's, here's what he wrote in this song. I love you whether or not you love me. I love you even if you think that I don't. Sometimes I find you doubt my love for you, but I don't mind. Why should I mind? Why should I mind? And he does a chorus, and then he comes back. Can anybody love anyone so much that they will never fear, never worry, never be sad? The answer is they cannot love this much. Nobody can. That's why I don't mind you doubting. Well, I would say this for him. He's got a pretty good grip on the reality of the limitations of human capacity for love. Now, he's left out the love for us that came through Jesus, which is the love that never fails. But he's pretty well caught on to the limitation of humanity. And then this is the last verse. And maybe love is letting people be just what they want to be. The door always must be left unlocked. To love when circumstance may lead someone away from you and not to spend the time just doubting. That verse is interesting. It's kind of a yes or no, isn't it? Because I don't think we would say this idea of just letting someone be what they want to be, I don't think we would call it love to let someone be an abuser. Or to let them destroy themselves. But how does one intervene in love in one of those scenarios? It's tricky, isn't it? I read you these words because in, in one sense they're, they're relatively profound, but in another sense for the point that you know, it's not just in the church that we wrestle with this question. What is love? And there's another point he makes here that I think is very good. He says the door always must be left unlocked. There's a, there's a point here related to the free will nature of love that we can never let go of. We've got to understand. We've got to hang on to it. I think this is what the Apostle Paul is saying in the book of Romans. Romans 12, verse 9, the first part. He says this very simple little statement. Love must be sincere. Love must be sincere. We don't fake it. We don't clamp down. We love sincerely with the awareness that the one we love can hurt us. Do you love me? It is a question we all ask. But upon what can we find a valid basis for this question beyond just emotionalism? Oh yeah, I really, really, really love you. We ended last time by establishing the basis for why we are able to love. 1 John 4, verse 19, these words, 
We love because he first loved us. This is the foundation. We love because he first loved us. And we need to recognize that we are loved with a love that led to redeeming action on the part of the one who loves us. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. This is the basis of our hope. Our capacity to love is based on the reality that we are loved by one who gave his life to save us. That kind of opens up the possibility that maybe we could love those people who come in here who aren't like us, some who will never be like us, Love. It's, it's the greatest commandment, or, or the greatest commandments, if you will. Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12, beginning in verse 28. You, you've got your Bible with you, look that up, or you can grab one in front of you if you want to follow along. Mark chapter 12, verse 28. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? <clears throat> the most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Love the Lord your God with everything. Love your neighbor as yourself. These, Jesus says, are the great commandments. We could spend a lot of time just trying to unpack that, and maybe we will sometime, but we won't do that today. But, but that, the, the wording here is so powerful. To love the Lord your God with your heart, that implies emotion, and with your soul, that implies devotion, and with your mind, that implies intentionality, and with your strength, that implies activity. Are you loving God in all those areas? In all those ways? It's hard to get them all. Some of us are pretty good at loving God with their mind, but they have a cold heart. Some of us are very warm in our hearts, but we don't do anything. Some people are very active, but their heart and their mind is a million miles away. This commitment to God needs to be full experience. And then the second is like it. To love your neighbor as yourself. What is love anyway? See, love needs to be the basis for our actions. 
there's little, little chance that I can fully expound to you today the meaning of love. But, but maybe we can continue to build a bit of a foundation here. We started this last Sabbath. I took you to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And I invite you to go there again. Now, if you were Martin and Lisa Butler, who happened to be here, you will know that at Forest Lake, I spent a long time on this chapter. And I haven't done that here yet. And maybe we'll do that later on. But I just want to walk through a portion of this chapter. 1 Corinthians 13. And we're going to begin in verse 4. And what we're going to get is a list of things that love is and some things that love is not or that love does not. So let's, let's walk through here. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. All right. Let's go through that list one more time. We're not going to spend a long time on it, but let's go through it again. First of all, love is patient. Ask any parent what that means, and they know exactly what that means. It's amusing after your children have reached a certain age and they're no longer apparel in the grocery store. My son Aaron was the classic grocery store peril. It was impossible for him not to touch everything on every shelf. And so we had a very strict rule. He was never allowed to let go of the cart. And he would walk around by the cart and I had to keep it more than arm's length from everything. It's so funny that even now we go to the grocery store, it's hard for him not to grab the cart. That was such a hard, fast rule. You've seen the meltdown in the grocery store, right? You've heard the scream from three miles away because mom didn't get Fruit Loops. My sister has a line. She says, God did not give us children to make us look good, at least when they're young. They make us look good later. But sometimes everybody in the store is sure you're the worst parent in America because of the way your child is behaving. But you don't quit loving, do you? There's something deeper there. Love is kind. I think one of the greatest things missing from this generation is kindness. We're not very nice anymore. Maybe it's the anonymity of the internet that has allowed us to, to vent what was really in our hearts without the responsibility of actually facing someone and saying these mean things. But, but we're not very kind 
just in general? What happened to kindness? Love does not envy. This is actually one given you for your own sake because nothing will destroy you from the inside out faster than envy, than wanting what someone else has. Love doesn't do that. Love does not boast. Ironically, there are certain people who feel better if you envy them. It makes them feel special. And so they boast so that you will envy. This is a there's another classic, I think, of the, of the Internet age, There's of the, of, the, uh, of the Facebook age and the, and the Snapchat age. And what should I be saying that's cool, Ariel? The TikTok age? Just stop. Don't try. All right. Good call. See, I'm, I'm a little out of touch. But the, the life we project for the sake of being envied, not really love. Love is not proud. Love does not dishonor others. Respectful, honoring of others. Love is not self-seeking. As long as I get mine, I don't care. No, that's, that's not love. Love is not easily angered. That's a hard one, especially in a season that we've been through, a stressful season, the, the COVID season. You see all the ugliness that's gone on, how easily we're angered. How people who are trying, on the one hand, to give us advice that they think will help us, we so quickly attribute to them some sort of a different motive. Love does not keep a record of wrongs. That's a hard one, isn't it? That is such a hard one. Love does not rejoice in evil, but love rejoices in the truth. You know, I think the key to there being justice in the earth is that everyone rejoices in truth. Because the, the greatest thing that causes injustice is when we lie and we don't really tell it how it is. Love always protects. Love always trusts. Love always hopes. Love always perseveres. Love never fails. We need to spend a lot more time here, don't we? To really flesh these things out? To really understand these words? To truly deal with this passage would require an entire series, and maybe we'll do that sometime. But I stumbled on something kind of interesting, uh, and, I, and I don't really know why. Uh, it was when I was traveling back and forth, and one of the times on my flight, I found this, this book called A Man at Arms, and I'm not recommending it to you. I'm not saying go out and buy it. It's really kind of weird. But it's by a guy named Stephen Pressfield. And I had read a book by him before, and I was about to take a flight, and I thought, all right, I'm going to grab it. So I grabbed this book. I took it on the airplane and started reading, and it's a fascinating premise. Now, it's, it's entirely a novel. There's nothing here that's absolutely true, but it's a novel based in an interesting time. 
It's in the time after, uh, it's at the beginning of the development of the church. It's set in the days of Paul. And the story is about a Roman mercenary who stumbles into a reality with a man and a little girl. And they are desperately trying to get to the city of Corinth because their mission is to deliver a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the people of Corinth. And the book goes on and on and there's all these amazing things and you finally get down to the end and there's this section and I want to read you this section. The gathering had fallen utterly silent. Ruth's voice alone carried. This was the little girl. The child's timbre had not by some wonder been transmuted into the voice of a grown woman. It remained the voice of a child which somehow made its effect reciting the stanzas of the apostle even more forceful and compelling. The notion in this book is the letter was actually the child. She memorized the words and now she has come to deliver this message. The main freight of the letter, as the girl recited it, was a plea from the apostle for unity within the community, for brotherhood and sisterhood in the face of external adversity and even murderous persecution. Each word fell like a blow of a lash upon those who had given themselves over to terror and suspicion and anger. Paul wrote in the girl's recitation that he knew the members of the fledgling church were under extraordinary duress. He implored them to be true to the spirit of hope and faith and love that had led them to hazard everything to follow the man they called their savior. What, what did you hazard to follow Jesus? You see, on the one hand, we're extremely blessed to live in a place and a time where it does not endanger your life to be a Jesus follower. In another way, we're cursed because we can make the profession so easily. For without such transcendent love, nothing else was possible, nor indeed could any other thought or action possess meaning. And then it quotes the girl, Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels and have not love, I am become as sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I can remove mountains and have not love, I am nothing. A man could be heard sobbing. Others of the community embraced their fellows and implored their pardon. The guardsman who had seized Telamon now let him go. Simon himself lowered the Roman sword in his hand. He restored it to Telamon. Love suffereth long and is kind. Love envieth not. Love vaulteth not itself, is not puffed up. Doth not behave itself unseemly. Seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked. Thinketh no evil. Love beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Ruth's words of the apostle spoke directly to and addressed specifically the very conflicts and failings of faith that both the factions of the community had so vividly displayed this evening. All knew that they had failed the father. All understood that they had fallen short of the son. 
when I read these words, do they have the same power on you that they seemingly had in this projected reality of this book? Do the words about love strike us to the core or do they bounce off of us? Have we become ducks upon which rain falls but has no impact? Do the words of what love is cut us to the core? Or do they have no meaning at all? Love never faileth. But whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect come, then that which is in part shall be done away. Ruth stood now. When she spoke, her words came not in halting stammers, nor lacking in self-composure or self-belief, but with might and grace and power. Telemon's expression seemed to say, how could this child, who clearly could have spoken at any time she wished, have held her tongue through all that she and we have endured? When I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. Ruth's eyes met Telemon's in this moment as his met hers. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know even as I am known. And now abideth faith, hope, and love, these three. But the greatest of these is love. Where does love fit into the perception of the faith you live and the faith that you claim? Is it first? Is it second? Does it even make the top ten? Do you place love somewhere below performance in your assumption of what it means to be a believer? Where is love? Jesus once wrote a letter to a church not unlike our own. They were good people doing good things, not actively persecuted, like the assumption in this, this story I read you the snippet from. Not actively persecuted, but also not totally in harmony with their surrounding community. He wrote this letter to a church who, who was not unlike us. They were surrounded by Porchfest and Monkey Butler and Boulder Chamber Orchestra and and Sunshine Hill bike riders. And here's what he wrote. Revelation chapter 2, verse 1, to the angel of the church in Ephesus write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardship for my name and have not grown weary. Awesome people. The kind of people you want in your church. Except for the next verse. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. 
Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Now, I believe most of us are willing to hate the Nicolaitans. Just tell us who they are. We'll hate them. I'm ready. But have we lost our first love? It's a question I'm wrestling with personally. Asking myself the question after, after pastoring 26 years, comparing my motivations today with my motivations then. Some of it is knowledge and understanding and good, but, but are there pieces of that first love that I don't find in my heart now? And what about you? How long have you been at this? You're a good church. But is that love, that first love, still there? It's not enough to go through the motions. The Ephesians were good people, but the core, the essence, the deepest thing that made them the people of God was slipping away without them even knowing. You see, once you've got a lot to do, it's easy to forget what matters most. That could never happen to us, could it? Back to Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12, verse 32. This is after Jesus says to the man, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your mind and your soul and your strength. And Love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandment greater. Verse 32, well said, teacher, the man replied. You are right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart and with all your understanding and with all your strength and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. To love God and love others is more important than all the stuff. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. If you stood before Jesus right now, based on the standard established in this interaction, how close would Jesus say you are to the kingdom of God? I do all the sacrifices, I do all the stuff right. But Jesus has laid a different standard. Love for God, love for neighbor. That's what puts you close to the kingdom. So how close are you to the kingdom of God? Apparently understanding and living love is key. And I'm going to invite the, the, they're kind of a small band, our band of two, to come up and prepare for our song. How close are you to the kingdom of God? You see, there are voices out there asking the question, do you love me? Jesus is asking you that question. Do you love me? Your family is asking you the question, do you love me? Your church family is asking you the question, do you love me? Porch Fest 
is asking you the question, do you love me? There's a saying here, a motto, a mission, a purpose. Live love. The saying is simple. The implications are profound. The execution is almost more than any of us can ever hope to achieve. But it is the description of those who are part of the kingdom of God. Will you live love? Do you love me? I'm going to have to rethink me. You're going to have to realign, maybe. There's only one way to do that. That's to ask for Jesus to be near. We love because he first loved us. He needs to teach us to love. We need to ask that he would be near. And that his love would live.